Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's a Friday morning. It's another episode of Corner 3 here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. I'm Jared Stansberry, joined, as always, by Scott Christofferson. Scott, how are you doing today? Hopefully you guys up there in Wisconsin are avoiding the impending snowstorm, the snowstorm of doom that we're about to get here in Iowa. I don't know if we're supposed to get 8 to 10 inches of snow, but it is coming down right now. It's it's a, a messy day out there. I think all of us are just like, – I, I got to the point where I just assume it's always going to snow. It's like every yeah. day I wake up. Yeah. It's probably going to snow today. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's kind of my, my just general uh, default setting in the winter. Uh, but hopefully everybody can stay safe. Nobody uh, be doing anything crazy out on the roads or anything like that. And hopefully the Texas Longhorns can make it in uh, into town tomorrow. Just, uh, just fine for uh, a 1 PM tilt at Hilton Coliseum between the Cyclones and Longhorns. But first, I want to talk a little bit about Iowa State's 62 to 61 loss to Kansas Tuesday night down at Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence. Um, man, Scott, I mean, I I think f- there were people that were a lot more mad about this game than I was. Uh, mm-hmm. Even on the Instant Reaction podcast, like, and you know, I kind of told you this. Like, I had so little expectation for them going down to Lawrence, and that's just because I've. I mean, this is my ninth season covering Iowa State basketball. They've had one other time where they had a chance to win that game, and they did win that game. But, it, you know, they just very rarely even are in a position to potentially win down in that arena. So to even be in that position, like, I was like, man, I mean, they already exceeded my expectations, you know. And, um, you know, I understand the controversy of it and everything like that, but I actually walked out of that game feeling pretty good. I, I was – that was as – little anger I've had towards the official the officials and things like that of a, a game down in Lawrence in quite some time. Yeah. There was a lot of positives to take away from that. I think, especially coming off the Oklahoma game where when Oklahoma went on their run in the second half, we, I don't know if we would call it folded, but we definitely got away from the things that make this team good in this game. They did the exact opposite. You could even see TJ emphatically, you know, pushing his guys to get up and pick up full court. And I felt like as Kansas went on their run in the second half, Iowa state really buckled in and and got after them, continued to work at, you know, continued to work on the defensive end, turning them over. You know, I think they, they lost by one on the boards You essentially can call that a break even point. And to me, what that shows is this team doesn't have to play an A game on the road against the best teams in the league to win a road game. That's encouraging it can get by on grinding away offensively and going through the lulls that we've seen them going through, but relying on their ball pressure, their defense, their loose ball pursuit, uh, 
to keep them in games against the best teams in the league on the road. I mean, it, it was a disappointing outcome. And obviously I know the goaltending call was a, a big one. There's a few other ones, but Iowa state went toe to toe with one of the best teams in the league on the road in a very difficult place to play. And they, they didn't, they played maybe a, a B B minus game and still easily could have won that game. That's really encouraging moving forward. They're in the middle of their toughest six game stretch of the year. In my opinion, they come out on Saturday and get a win. They are going to set themselves up to get into the meat of conference play when the schedule starts to lighten up a little bit and be in very good shape to go on a run. So uh, a lot more positives in my opinion, than, than negatives, but I understand as a fan, that was a gut wrenching loss. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think even like in the first half, I, my expectations were, again, my expectations were not very high, but it was in the first half when Iowa state was kind of, it felt like Iowa state really had control of the game. Like the first 10 minutes, and I looked at the stats and I saw Kansas was like two of 10 from the field and Iowa state had a one point lead. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, maybe they're not in as control of this as I thought that they were. Kansas has not made any shots and they're still right there in this game, you know? And that was what was a little bit concerning to me. And I, I, it's not like a, like, you know, panic button or anything like that, but it, it's, it is slightly concerning for the long-term viability of this team when I feel like you can hold really good teams to two of 10 and you can't score enough to get a lead bigger than one. Like, and I, I don't know how often that's going to happen, but you get what I'm saying? Like that's, I do. That, that to me is, is just a little bit worrying because it, it just is like, that just shows how low your margin of error is, how small it is. Yeah. I think this team is not going to be a prolific offensive team. Yeah. I, I feel confident saying that they just, they don't shoot the ball consistently well enough from the perimeter. And they also don't make the right decision offensively consistently enough to be a team that just says, all right, we know we're getting 70 in this game. And that I think is not necessarily need to be looked at as a negative because they do some of the hard things in basketball really, really well, the defense, the rebounding, the loose ball pursuit. And that's, what's going to lead them to win. I made a few notes after the game, after, you know, having some time to think about it and watching it on, there are just some very simple things that I think they could iron out offensively that would not make them a prolific offensive team, but would help raise their floor offensively Because, yeah, I mean, as well as they defended in the first half, it felt like they should have had an eight to 10 point lead without needing to shoot lights out to be there. And after giving it more thought and watching the game again, they should have been. And if that were the case, then it doesn't come down to, you know, the officials making a, you know, botching a call or two, that sort of a thing. So there's still room to improve on this team offensively within the offensive talent that they have. And I think the battle for them will be not forgetting who they are defense, rebounding loose balls, but then having the, 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 the self-awareness to, to find the correctable things offensively and improve on that. I think one thing that teams struggle with sometimes you take, you start focusing on your offense and now you let your foot off the gas on your defense and your rebounding. This team can't do that. So they've got to find a way to continue to push forward there and just clean up some of the simple things offensively that they can do to to take advantage of those lulls that Kansas went through. I think the thing that, or one of the big things that's kind of holding them back, and this is not holding them back from being a great offense by any means, but it's like 
to get to where you you are a consistently above average to good offense, they have too many mindless things that happen, things that are just dumb, you know, where you, yes. and it's guys getting out of control and you throw a bad pass or you dribble one, you know, Tyrese dribbled one off his toe one time that went out of bounds. Like it's just, it's little things of, of the paying attention to details, not throwing passes to guys that aren't there. You know, like, I, I don't know how many times they threw the ball straight out of bounds because there, there wasn't a guy there to throw it to. It's, it's that kind of stuff that, like, holds them back from getting to where you can consistently be good enough offensively to take advantage of some of those situations. I agree. I think, you know, we talk about remembering your, who you are, your identity as a team. I think offensively, the players need to individually – outside of Isaiah and Tyrese right now do a better job. And I would put George in this category as well. Like George to me has been very solid. He's not a guy that's going to go out and get you 20 night in and night out, but you know what you're getting from George, but outside of those three guys, I mean, one game, Tristan and Aruna will have a double double and then it'll go two games where you don't even notice him playing, you know, Caleb will have 18, one game, and then he'll go three games with, you know, maybe getting a shot or two up each game you know, Trey Jackson, Gabe, you can go down the list. Um, Jazz has probably been a little bit more consistent too. I would, I would maybe put him in there, although, you know, their first two games of conference play, I think he was still getting acclimated to the the change of speed, but their, their role players need to do a better job of knowing what their job is offensively and locking into executing their job. Trey Jackson the other night, he comes off a game against Oklahoma. I thought he was outstanding. He is a spot up shooter that can initiate some offense for them. The other night he tries to get into a wheeling and dealing playmaker and has two or three just mindless turnovers. And I'm a big fan of Trey Jackson and I'm just using him as an example. There's other guys we could point to in that as well, but that happens too often. What, what can you count on outside of, you know, the two, the three guys that I mentioned game in and game out, you know, Tristan and Aruna on the offensive glass, TJ doesn't need to run a play for you to consistently be a productive offensive rebounder, but we're not getting that. And that's, what's holding this team back offensively is the consistency from their role players. Yeah. And it's especially important. Like, like Trey Jackson, Jackson is not going to play 20 minutes for you. He played eight the other night. And this can't be the kind of stat line that you get from Trey Jackson, one rebound and turn and two turnovers. That's the entire stat line. Like you can't get that from your backup point guard in eight minutes, you know, well, and, and you and, don't need and him I to think... come in and, you don't need him to come in and be, he doesn't need to be Jamal Crawford, you know, like right. coming off the bench, but you need him to be at least solid for you. And, and he had opportunities to take some open three pointers that he passed up on. Know how you can help this team. Like for me, some of the notes I made shooters, Caleb, Trey, Gabe, and jazz. Feet square to the basket, shoulders square to the basket, inside out threes. They need to take every one of those that they can get that are open. Jazz the other night had, makes a three. Next one or two possessions later, gets another look at a three, passes it up to, I believe it was Tyrese Hunter. That's recognizing I'm a 50% three-point shooter. Tyrese is a dynamic driver, but shooting you know 20 or so percent from the three. Like those are the sorts of plays and the recognition and awareness of what's going on in the court. And again, not calling out any one person, because I think collectively it just hasn't been there consistently from the role players, but recognizing 
what it is that you do for this team well in sticking to those things. Like Gabe had a great game the other night. He looks a lot different shooting the ball when his feet are set and his shoulders are square to the basket than he does in a step back or coming off of a screen and he's not on balance. So recognizing what allowed you to have some success and now let's carry that over to the next game. Let's not go two or three games before we find a way to get two or three squared up looks at the basket. This, what I'm going to say is going to sound mean and I don't, I don't want it to be mean because I, it's just, it's so ridiculous at this point and it has become like a thing through the entire year. But man, if I have to watch Gabe Kalsher shoot another shot off the top of the backboard, dude, I'm, I'm going to have a brain aneurysm, man. Like, I don't know what, or I don't know, like it, it, I don't know how many times that's happened, but dude, like I, I don't know if I've seen a player who that can, can, that can make shots like, you know, has not been able to this season very consistently, yeah. but he's got, he doesn't have like a horrible shot. You can tell that yep. he is a guy who can make shots when he is, gets his feet set and stuff like that. But dude, when he doesn't do those things, Oh my God, it's not even close. Like it, Almost, it goes, it goes from being pure to being all of the shots yeah. that have been air balls are off the side of the basket and they all have a common theme. Yeah. He's shooting them off balance. The other night, it was very clear. Early in the game, he took two shots, missed considerably, and then all of a sudden, he got two or three in a row where I think it was Tyrese had gotten into the paint. He relocates, feet are square, shoulders are square, and he looks like a very good shooter. I would bet, without ever having watched a game of him at Minnesota, if you went in and charted how he shot 33%, he was shooting more shots on balance with his feet and shoulders square to the basket and doing less trying to come off screens and be like a Ray Allen type. Mm -hmm. That's his game. That's it for him to shoot 33% or 35% for this team. It's the, those are the sorts of shots that he needs to shoot. I don't try. I don't, I'm not a big fan of talking about yourself as a player, but I, I feel comfortable saying this. One of the reasons I shot a good percentage is because I took good shots. If I would have went out and tried to be Ray Allen or Steph Curry, I would have shot 25% too. That wasn't my game. Yeah. So that's having the self-awareness of a player of what you do well and putting yourself in spots to be successful is half the battle. And I think collectively between the offensive rebounders and the shooters, they just need to do a better job of, of being self-aware, recognizing how they can impact the game and go out and execute it. Well, it helped for you because Tyrus McGee took enough crazy shots for everybody on the team, didn't he? <laughs> but Tyrus had an ability to make tough yeah, shots. Yeah, you know I, was, I, mean? I know that was that was Tyrus's game. So it's like it, that's don't get me game. wrong. I if I had made three or four out of my last five, would I take a you know little tougher shot in yeah. rhythm? Sure, but I'm not going to come out o for o or o for two and start launching step backs because. Right. That's just, I mean, you're asking to shoot a poor percentage. So some of being a good shooter is just putting yourself in a decent position and being recognizing what you do well and what you don't. How much of the needing guys like jazz? I mean, I think that jazz's unselfishness gets in the way sometimes of his, of his ability to make plays. It's because he's so conscious of like, I don't, or I don't know what it is. I don't know jazz that well. I mean, I, he hasn't been here that long, so it's hard to get to really know these guys, but it's like, it's almost like he he's like, man, I don't want to do too much. So I'm going to like go out of my way to do too little sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. and that like, he's too good of a player and he's too good offensively to, to have that kind of mindset. Like we almost need him to be a little bit more selfish. And 
I mean, the name of the game for this team offensively in the half court is opening the court up for Isaiah and Tyrese to drive the basketball. And you're hurting their ability to do that by not first off sticking to your spacing. There was too many times against Kansas where those guys went to drive and somebody's relocating right into them and bringing their help defender right to them. So stay space, stay committed to your spacing. And when they give you a step or a half step to get a, 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 now again, I'm not talking about a crazy off balance shot, but I'm stepping in. My shoulders are square. You've got to rise and shoot those. It's not just the shots that you make. It forces the defense to take you seriously as a shooter. Now they feel like, well, I've got to make a decision. Do I help on Tyrese's drive and leave a good shooter open? Or do I stay close to him, take away the shooter? And now Tyrese has more room to operate in the half court. Those are the little things that are holding this team back and where we see them go through these five and six minute walls. like we saw to start the second half the other night, it's the, it's the attention to detail, the self-awareness and knowing what, you know, pulling a bill Belichick, do your job. And if your job is to shoot open threes, get your feet ready and shoot them when you're open confidently. Don't they're, they're, they're not paying a close enough attention to the details offensively. Yeah. How, how much of, okay. It seemed like the other night, Isaiah's percentage of shots that are from the mid range to the shots at the rim is continuing to skew towards the mid range pretty significantly as, as we get further and further into conference play. Part of me wonders if how, how much of that is tied one to the fact that they're scouting all of their looks and they're taking away the, his ability to curl hard off of those handoffs and things like that. But two, like, I mean, Ochayak Baji is as good a scorer as Iowa State has seen this year, I think, uh, with his ability to score at all three levels. He's a really good defender, too. And, like, I think the athleticism, Isaiah could blow by a lot of guys during the non-conference play. You're finding out you can't blow by people as much, so it's like it's good to take some shots in the mid-range, but I also am fearing that he's starting to settle a little bit and be like, I'm only going to shoot from the mid-range and I'm not even going to attempt to attack because I don't think I can get by this guy. Yeah, I think your point about them being scouted, he's getting scouted really hard. The help is there waiting for him. And when you keep running the same action, the wheel and the dribble handoff stuff, I don't care how good that action is. You give good coaches the same look over and over again, over 40 minutes, and they're going to adjust to it and their teams are going to adjust to it. So I think they've got to do a little bit more of, why don't we throw the ball to him in the horn section at the elbow and let him be the facilitator out of there and pick and choose his spots to attack or pass post him. I mean, he's, he's a, you know, six foot four, 200 pound above the rim type of player. I got to believe in certain situations that he could be devastating down on the post. And then Isaiah, you know, I think what I, what I liked, what I saw about him the other night, the last three minutes of the game, he took that thing over and he did start driving the ball to the basket. Mm-hmm. That's really encouraging of guy that realizes when it's winning time and that he's the alpha on this team. But when you're going through it, when your team is going through lulls and you need a bucket, like you've got to recognize, okay, we haven't gotten a good shot in a few possessions. We're stagnant. We're clunky. We've a couple of careless turnovers. I've got to get in an action. I've got to get the ball and I've got to get us a quality look that comes from me playing downhill in getting my shoulder into people and being a little bit more physical and a little bit more stubborn and either getting myself to the free throw line, getting a quality look inside of 15 feet for me or getting an inside out three 
for one of the role players or a dump down for the big. And I think that's where the, you know, him being the alpha on the team, I think is a new role for him. So I think he's learning this on the fly, but he needs to recognize, Hey, my team needs me, right? Like there's times where they don't need him to do that because there's more flow and guys are getting good, clean looks, but he needs to realize when that breaks down. Now I've got to go and be that leader on the floor and make, and I got to make sure we get into something good and we get a good, clean look. I think that's going to, I hope that's a, that's just going to come with, you know, the progression of him being the leader of this team. I think one thing that He's a guy who I think could benefit. Like he doesn't need to be Hakeem Olajuwon, but if you have a couple back to the basket moves, you know, where you can catch the ball on the block and you can turn and shoot a little baby hook, he's a good enough athlete to elevate over the top of people. And he's got good touch around the rim. So it's like that, something like that. And then you've got a little up and under that you can kind of mix in with it as well, like a counter move to it. But that's the kind of thing you can do when the, I mean, they have so many possessions where the shot clock starts to get low to like 10 seconds. And it's clear that they don't really know what they're going to do, you know, and then you kind of have to throw up a wild shot. And if you can just throw it the ball to your best player on the block, someone's probably going to help in either. You're going to get a a one-on-one look with him with his back to the basket in the paint, which is best case scenario, probably your best player one-on-one close to the hoop, or you're going to be able to kick it out and shoot a three-pointer with one of your guys on a set shot, especially if you're playing with that small ball lineup where you've got jazz at the five. Like, I think that's another added uh, piece of it. And I, I just don't know how comfortable Isaiah is in that type of setting, but that's from what I see. It's like, man, he could really help them. If he could just take, you could just take one dribble and rise up and shoot a little left-handed hook over the top of somebody. Yeah. I think another thing too, when everybody knows he's a left hand, left-handed player and he likes to drive left. And when you run your normal stuff, it, the other team, they, it's, they've been ingrained into their head at practice. Take away his left, take away his left. You start catching the ball in spots that they're not used to you catching it, particularly down on the low post. I'm telling you, having guarded people on the low post, you're, you're first off as a guard, you're not used to guarding players in the post. Now you're guarding a left-handed player in the post. You forget Oh, he's left-handed. You know what I mean? It's just, it's different. So I think getting him those unscouted touches in different spots on the court, 15 feet, 10 feet from the basket would really make him potent. And then we need him to be at the free throw line six times a game minimum. And he's got the, the, the game, the body, the athleticism to put pressure on defenses and, and go in there and be demonstrative. You know what I mean? Like, when, when there's contact and you don't feel like you're getting those 50, 50 calls, you need to make it happen with, with your, the, the vigor in which you attack the basket with and, and just, you know, be that dog type of player, that alpha dog that he can be and make those officials call those. And I guarantee if he starts to do that and he doesn't get those calls, you're going to see TJ start to get after these officials about getting him the calls that he deserves so, you know, again, we're nitpicking. I mean, Isaiah has been outstanding all year. Yeah. He was terrific the other night down the stretch. I was very impressed with him and how he operated in the half court the last three minutes of the game. But we're talking about, you know, taking that next step as a team so that we can win that game by five, as opposed to have it come down to a one possession game. Those are the sorts of the self critiques that you have to make. Right. And I, I w- I'm interested to see now that, kind of looking forward into tomorrow and then to next week when they play Texas tech. Uh, now that you've seen that no middle defense one time when you had to play Texas tech the first time, I mean, Texas is going to run 
pretty close to the same thing. You know, I mean, that's Chris Beard's calling card. That's why Texas Tech, you know, with Mark Adams, they continue to run the same thing. And it's weird to play against until you've played it before. I'm intrigued to see if they maybe flip some of the actions they run. And this is something Kirk Holland wrote about in his column that's on the front page of Cyclone Fanatic right now where they flip some of the actions where Isaiah, instead of catching it on the right wing and going towards the middle, you catch it on the left wing and you're going towards the baseline. Cause then that his mid range is so good. He's so good with that two dribble pull up. If you're driving it towards the baseline, they want to trap you there. Well, you can pull up and you can hit your little two, two dribble mid range pull up over the top of a defender, you know, or you can keep going downhill and you can attack the rim. So it's like, but those are the things, like I said, I don't know if you even know you need to make that adjustment until you're in the moment and you've played against somebody like that, you know, and now you got to play two teams like that are going to play that way in a row. And it's an opportunity to throw some new wrinkles in there that maybe they haven't seen before. And, and that's to me, and I think I said this, I don't know if I said this to you when we were just talking off air or if we said it going into the Texas tech game, I thought the soft spots in those defenses were on the elbow and throwing the ball into the post. If you run your normal stuff and try to dribble drive from the perimeter, this defense is made to take away the modern day college dribble drive offense. Mm-hmm. It, it's very European in a, a lot of ways. The, the soft spots in this defense are on the low block and at the elbow. So if I can get the ball to Isaiah there, I think that will be an unscouted look for them. And now they'll be a little bit more on their heels and you'll start to see things break down and the help and the rotations won't be quite as crisp. You'll see them get to the free throw line, to the basket, but you'll also see those inside out looks from the three where guys get a little bit more of an in rhythm shot. Again, I'm not saying that means you're going to hang 80 on Texas tech, but we're just talking about creative ways to find a little bit more of a quality look on a consistent basis. That's where I would make the adjustment. And at the end of the day, that being able to do that is the difference between being a, you know, borderline top 25 team and being a team that can go to a sweet 16. Like that's, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about needing to jump from being a 300 offense to being in the top 20, you know, like it's just, it's getting from being, getting close to being back in the top 100, you know, and the odds are actually going to be there for the full year are probably not very high, but like if you can be a top 50 to top 100 offense through the end of the rest of the year. Like, man, this could legitimately be a team that can make a deep run in the tournament and could go and get to a second weekend, you know? And and it's, they like, it's trying to help that it's how you reward yourself for all the hard work this team puts in, you know? I mean, they, they guard so hard and they, they, they compete so hard and they rebound so hard, you know, to your point, what you said at the beginning, they should have been up by eight or 10 going into halftime against Kansas but because they, they, they're, they're just a little bit off, they're not far off, but they're just a little bit off on offense on a several different pieces. They end up, Oh, they're up by two. And then you come out and you turn it over your first two possessions and Kansas hits a couple of shots. And now you're having to play catch up the rest of the game where you're up by eight, you're up by 10, you withstand that little mini run and you're still up by four. And it's, you're not having to play catch up and expend so much energy to get yourself back in the game. All right, let's look at this Texas team. Uh, interesting team. They've got a bunch of dudes who play. Uh, you know, Jace Febris has played for them for, I mean, he, he's been a four-year player for them and is, a, well, I guess not four-year, I don't think he's a senior. Or he is a senior. Shoot, he's a five-year player for him now. And he hardly even plays. I think he played like eight minutes the other night against Oklahoma. But, I mean, you've got Marcus Carr, who's been 
at times in his career. I mean, a, you know, I think he was borderline almost the Big Ten player of the year last year. Andrew Jones is obviously a fantastic story, and for him to be back playing the way that he is, that's awesome. Uh, Timmy Allen is a guy who can really fill it up from, uh, from all three levels. What do you see from, from this Texas team so far? I watched them play against Oklahoma, and it was one of their better games of the year. Um, it, you know, my message going into this game, if I'm coaching this team is they said in the Oklahoma broadcast, they're shooting 60% from the floor when the ball gets into the paint at least one time. I think if you turn this team into a team that has to rely on shooting jump shots without getting the ball in the paint, and this is 80% of college teams, I think Iowa state will hold them to a very low number and give themselves a great chance to win this game. So I think one of the things that has been an adjustment that they're needing to make in early in big 12 play, it happened the other night, they're over helping sometimes. And sometimes they're putting so much pressure on the ball that they're opening their shoulders and just conceding a drive because they're so focused on not trying to go middle. So just being a little bit more crisp with the angles in which you guard people carry out TJ's principles, the baseline stuff, the ball pressure impact them, but you turn this team into a jump shooting team and you don't let them get the ball in the paint, they are going to struggle to score in a big way. They're not a, this is not an Oklahoma style of offensive team yet. They're with their ball movement and their player movement and the, the crispness that they run their stuff. So I think that is the name of the game. Take care of the glass. You're at home. You do those two things and clean up some of this stuff on offense that we've talked about. I think you're going to have a chance to get a quality win on Saturday and really set yourself up going into the meat of big 12 play with the ability to maybe go on a little bit of a run. This also is not a very big team. So it's, I mean, you got to make these guards work for it. You know, don't yeah. give them anything easy because I, they don't have a guy they can throw it to on the block. They don't have a Tanner Groves, you know, right. that they can throw it to and say, all right, go to work, man. You know, like Trey Mitchell's a good, was a really good player at UMass. Uh, he has not been, has not been that kind of guy for them so far. So it's just, I'm just interested to see, and we've talked about this, you know, this concept before, just how can you learn from what you took away Tuesday night and how can you add on to that and build on that and in going into today or into tomorrow? And if you can do that, like they're going to have a pretty damn good chance to win. You know, if you can keep getting better from game to game, like we know that they're right there. It's like, just keep getting better and keep trying to improve on these things in small bits. And like, and you're going to make big leaps, you know, as time goes on. I expect this team to win on Saturday. I haven't said that much this year. I, I expect this team to beat Texas. Um, it, so long as they continue to focus on their defense, focus on their rebounding and start to make some of these corrections on offense. I, I, I Hilton's going to be rocking. Th this to me is the game of the year for this team. They win this game and they are in great shape going into big 12 play. I'm not calling it a must win. Even if they were to lose, I still think there's plenty of time left in the big 12 play. It's way too early to say it's a must win, but this is the game of the year. I think this team will recognize that. I think they're going to feed off of what happened the other night, that tough loss. And I'm looking for them to come out and put it all together. A great defensive performance and a solid offensive performance. They don't have to be great, but solid cleaning up some of the silly turnovers, cleaning up some of just the silly mistakes. And one thing I did forget to mention, and you said it earlier, but I think they've got to do a better job. When we get to 10 on the shot clock, we got to have two things we're going to get to. We're either going to get to a Tyrese Hunter ball screen at the top. We're going to flatten the floor out and let him go make a play, 
or we're going to get it to Isaiah on a wing or at the elbow and get him in an ISO and let him go make a play. There's too many times when they get to the last eight seconds of the shot clock and everybody kind of just looks around like, what are we going to do? And we end up with George shooting, you know, a runner from 15 feet, those sorts of things. And then I think they just got to do a little bit better job in their late shot clock offense of knowing what to get to and just get into it and go. It's not, doesn't mean you're going to score every time, but at least you get a little bit higher quality look up at the rim. All right. We'll talk more uh, or we'll recap this game and we'll look ahead more to Texas tech when we uh, talk on Monday, but man, did you, did you watch the red Raiders last night? I think Texas tech is winning this league. I really do. They are on fire, man. They're on one right now. Well, they're really good there. If they can get healthy and get all their guys back, um, they, they just, they play a style of defense that is so hard to get used to and so hard to get ready for. And, you know, they're, as they get healthier, they're going to get better offensively. I think they're going to win the league. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you, dude. And I, the thing I think is so much fun to watch about them. They play for each other. You can tell they've got some of the same elements that Iowa state does where it's like, you can tell they all really like each other and they all care about each other and they play harder for each other. You know, and like, that's why you can come into Hilton when you only had seven guys and nearly win. Cause you've yeah. got that mentality and that, you know, the foxhole type of mentality. And I, I don't know, they're a fun team to watch right now. I think when they, I think when Te- Iowa state beat them, we all in our minds were kind of like, man, that's an ugly win, but it's a win. And we don't really want to celebrate it that hard. That's a hell of a win. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you know, they went in and took care of Texas without their top two players. Uh, they just went on the road to Baylor and, and, and took care of them without their top guys. So no, that look, that win looks better and better. And, you know, I think right now they're the class of the league, but the encouraging part of this is, you know, Iowa States played the three best teams in this league. There's no more tests for them to pass as far as they're, they're there. They're right there for to, you know, to go and make the run of their own. So, uh, yeah, Texas Tech is what, the hottest team in the country potentially right now, right? I mean, I, who's who's beating the type right of teams there. that they are night in and night out? No, yeah, I mean they're they're right up there for sure. All right, everybody, we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys again on Monday. Have a great weekend. Like I said, stay safe from the storm and don't try to be acting crazy to get in the Hilton Coliseum tomorrow. But we'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.